Amen. Awesome. Shot, Jake. Testing. Thank you, Pastor Don. Well, good morning, church. Good to see you. It is a blessing to be in the house and be asked to preach again. Uh, I was asked, I was told in the, the 9 a.m. service that it was, it's been a minute since I preached in the building. Uh, last time I preached, uh, Pastor Don and Pastor Haley were still in the friend zone, but now that's, uh, they've, things have progressed since then, so it's good to be here. And uh, I love preaching. Uh, preaching is something I just absolutely love doing, and it is a privilege, and I believe in that God will speak to you through His Word uh, this evening. So let's, let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that we can come together as your people, Lord. Um, we can come together as the body of Christ, Father, and hear you speak through your inspired Word. Um, Lord, as we traverse this journey of <clears throat> the journey to the cross, Lord, and to Calvary and what you've accomplished for us, Father, I pray that, Lord, that you give us attentive ears, that you give us a humble heart and a mind to understand what's being said as well, Lord. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would bring to light the things he wants to teach us, that he illuminate the truth of God. And Father, I pray, Lord, that he would signpost our journey to the cross in Calvary as well. Lord, we love you. We love you so much. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said. Now, church, many of you won't know this because my mother is a very private and modest and humble person, uh, but she's actually a magistrate judge based at uh, Manukau District Court where she presides over cases. Uh, she's been doing it for more than 10 years now. My mother is the perfect mix of compassion and justice, and I find it hilarious. I, you know, when she's at home, I call her Judge Judy. Um, one of her favorite programs is actually Judge Judy. She'll sit down and watch it intent intently. I also find it funny that her, she also loves watching that program, Police 10-7. You should be watching because she recognized a lot of people on, on the show. So she'd be going, hey, son, that guy robbing the bank, I judged him. So, he's, uh, so she, she loves that show because she loves seeing people that she have come through court as well. Um, when my mother would sort of, uh, when I was younger, when she would judge and condemn many of my life decisions, I'd tell my mother because I'm a man of the word. I'm a, I'd say, mom, remember, I said the measure that you judge others will be measured unto you. <laughs> Amen, mom. You should, you should tell it next time you'll see your parents judge you and see what, see what happens, church. But... But church, believe it or not, there was a time where actually I thought I'd end up in court, where I thought I'd be in trouble. And when I was 17, a friend of mine was driving us home, back from church in West Auckland. They were driving in my mother's car, and the back window was locked. Sorry, it was broken, I should say. And apparently, this is a textbook sign of a car being broken into. So a police car saw this, and they began to pursue us with the siren blaring until we pulled over. So I pulled over to church, and sorry, my friend pulled over, and the officer approached the door, and he said, Proof of ownership, please. He said, it's very suspicious that the back window is, is, is broken. We couldn't provide proof of ownership. We, we had no proof of ownership. He said, so where are you coming back from, man? And I said, oh, you know, we just came back from church. You know, we're Christians. We love the Lord. Love the law as well. We are law-abiding citizens. You know, we respect the police and all those sort of things. But which made it even more suspicious because they thought, yeah, sure, you are coming back from church. Of course you are. Just stole a car and now you're going to church. So you know what they did, church? They literally handcuffed us and took us back to the station for further questioning. I thought, man, out of all my wannabe gangster friends, I'm the one handcuffed and being taken to the police station. So we're there, church. We're in the, in the police station, and we got the good cop, bad cop routine. Your one cop would calmly ask us questions and say, hey, um, so, so, boys, you reckon you're coming back from church? And the other police officer was like, oh, you go to church, do you? Interesting. Be, that's how he'd be talking to us. And, but eventually, church, they, they got hold of my mother, and they could verify who we were and who the car was, and, and that was the end of it. We, I did not have to go to court like I feared. Praise the Lord for that. You see, Judge, you never know when there was a, a bad boy passed behind this Christ-like wholesome persona. I mean, you, just, you just never know people, Judge. You never know people until you know people. But Now, fortunately, Judge, the vast majority of us will never have to go to court or will never be handcuffed or taken to prison or have to defend ourselves over criminal you know, charges in a, in a court of law. Praise the Lord for that. 
However, church, there is, in fact, a courtroom that awaits all people. That regardless of your deeds or misdeeds, awaits all people. I'm not talking Monaco District Court or any other earthly courtroom. No, this is a divine heavenly courtroom where you'll be put on trial. It is a courtroom where you'll stand before the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and be asked to give an account. You know, church, there are people who think that religion is a subjective thing. It doesn't really matter what you believe about God, because all religions lead to God in the end. They are different paths to the same destination. Who's heard that before? That all religions lead to God. And church, I'm here to tell you, in a sense, that's very true. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian, a Buddhist, an atheist, a agnostic, whatever religion you believe in, every person of every faith and every belief system will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be asked to give an account. All people one day will stand before a God who is perfectly just, holy, and righteous and be asked to defend themselves over a charge brought against them. And that charge is what the Bible calls sin. And if guilty, it's a charge that incurs a sentence of death. Now, regardless of how skillful the defense may be, regardless of the portfolio of good deeds you have to draw from, the, the evidence is overwhelming. The verdict is in. And church, we stand justly condemned because of our sin. You know, church, my mother is a judge. If she let criminals off scot-free without sentence, without repercussions, she would be an unjust, corrupt judge. In the same way, church, if God let the punishment of sin, just let it kind of swept it on the rug and let it go, he'd be an unjust judge as well. And people think, well, isn't God loving and kind and compassionate and patient? Absolutely he is. He is all those things. But church, he is all those things without the diminishment of his justice. God's justice still needs to be satisfied. So church, the question becomes this. How can a God who is perfect in character and justice pass over the just condemnation of a sinner when his justice demands it, when his goodness requires it, when his holiness compels it? Church, this is the fundamental question of religion. It is the central theme of Christian theology. How can a holy, just God be reconciled to a sinner who stands justly condemned? That is the question, church. Let's go to the Word of God to answer that very question. We're going to go to the uh, the 27th chapter of Matthew, beginning from verses 1 and 2. It should be on the screen, but I'll read it for you, church. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Let's go down to verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, do you not hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus had no reply, not even a single charge to the amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At the time, they had a well-known prisoner who was named Jesus Barabbas. But when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked him, which one of them do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas, or Jesus, the one they call Messiah. For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. When Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message and said, don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I've suffered a great deal today in a dream about him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask Barabbas and have Jesus executed. Which one do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. 
What should I do then with Jesus, the one who is called Messiah? Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they all shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. He is your responsibility. But all the people answered, his blood is on us and on all our children. But he released Barabbas to them and had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Church, here we have the unbelievable scene of Jesus on trial. The Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, is on trial. The second person of the Trinity, God himself, is on trial. You know, what's interesting, church, is this is actually the sixth of, this is actually the last trial that Jesus endured. One of, it's the sixth trial that he endured. You're following Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was taken to the house of Aeneas. And Aeneas' church was an ex-high priest. And according to Mosaic law, the priesthood is forever. Thus, he still yielded incredible power in the Jewish Sanhedrin. But church, he was taken here first to give his son-in-law another high priest by the name of Caiaphas enough time to round up the council to hold another, another trial at nighttime, which, by the way, was illegal. You cannot hold trials at nighttime. Caiaphas was the, was the, person, was the high priest appointed by, by the Roman Empire, and he had a complete disdain for the message and ministry of Jesus. But then the next morning had a very brief third trial to reaffirm the verdict of the second trial because it was an illegal trial. So they're trying to sort of cover their tracks here, church. Church, here you have the people who are meant to be the gatekeepers of morality and what is good, blatantly breaking the law because of their violent disdain for Jesus. The Jews then brought Jesus to Pilate, the governor, um, because they didn't have the authority to have him executed. But Pilate recognized that Jesus is from Galilee, a jurisdiction outside his his jurisdiction, sorry, a a region outside his jurisdiction. So he sends Jesus to Herod, the ruler of that area, for a fifth trial. Herod, however, recognizes what Pilate recognizes, is that because Jesus is such a popular figure, you know, executing him could cause a riot. Therefore, he says, listen, I, I don't want any part of this, and I've already given enough heat for executing John the Baptist. So he sends him back to Pilate for a sixth trial. So church, here we have our passage. We have the sixth trial of our Lord where our Lord stands before Pilate. Now you'd think after six trials, the evidence to condemn Jesus would be overwhelming. That after a concentrated effort to have our Lord executed and killed, that they'd find something on Jesus. The, illegal, the Jewish leaders would hold illegal trials at night, bribe with, bribe with money one of his disciples to betray him. Church, listen, they would even accept false testimony. They scoured the land looking for anything they could find on Jesus. So what are the charges that the Jewish leaders brought to Jesus? In Matthew 26, they said, well, they tried to condemn him on religious grounds. They said, well, this Jesus, he said, he said he'd destroy the temple. He's a violent destroyer of our tradition and buildings. He's an anarchist. He should be, destroy, he should be executed immediately. But church, we know exactly what Jesus meant when he said that. He made clear what he meant. The temple he was speaking of was not a literal temple, but rather his own body. When he said, destroy this temple, I'll raise it back up on the third day. He was foreshadowing his death, burial, and resurrection. Not happy with proceedings, they then go to accuse Jesus of blasphemy, being a mere man claiming to be God. But in chapter 27, church, the Jewish leaders changed their approach here. They recognize that they're going to appeal to Pilate to have Jesus executed. And they need to appeal to him, not on religious grounds, but on political grounds. 
they recognize that if they're gonna if they're gonna appeal to the Roman Empire to have Jesus executed, they need to frame their accusations in a way that makes Jesus a threat to Roman rule and authority. They want to make Jesus out to be some kind of Jewish nationalist who wanted to overthrow Rome through political power and force. They even said that Jesus discourages Jews from paying taxes to Rome. Now, church, we know, of course, this is all fake news. When Jesus was questioned about, when Jesus was asked the question, you know, should Jews pay taxes to Rome? Jesus made it very clear. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And when asked by Pilate, he said, are, are, you, in fa- are you a political figure who's gonna, who wants to deliver the Jews from the Roman Roman oppression? Pilate said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said very plainly, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. Church, Pilate understood immediately what Jesus was saying that he is of no political or, or military threat to Rome, thus could find no guilt or fault in him. Nobody could find fault in Jesus. In fact, Jesus even stood before his enemies and said, which one of you can accuse me of sin? His enemies were silent. Pilate's own wife said to him, have nothing to do with that innocent man. All you have from the Jewish leaders' church is fake news, fabricated accounts, illegal trials, broken laws, bribery, and a mass conspiracy to have our Lord executed. Here you have, church, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God being victimized by the greatest miscarriage of justice in human history. From a human vantage point, this may seem like a complete and utter failure. The disciples thought so, which is why they've now abandoned Christ. Our Lord, the Prince of Peace, the innocent one, now stands unjustly condemned. But there's something happening here, church, from, from God's perspective, from a divine perspective that is anything but a failure. Let's see what it says in Acts chapter 3, verse 31 to 33. When speaking about his trial and crucifixion, this is what it reads. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by hands of godless men and put him to death. What this means, churches, is that the crucifixion and trial of our Lord was an expression of the predetermined sovereign plan of God. Now it says that Jesus was handed over by evil and godless men. Church, the people and parties who conspired to have Christ killed will still be held accountable because they acted in accordance with the evil intentions of their heart. But nevertheless, they were used as a means to bring about God's good and perfect purposes. Jesus even says in John chapter 10, he says, The reason the Father loves me is that I laid down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down by my own accord. I have authority to, to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This charge I receive from my Father. Church, Jesus voluntarily gave himself up in his trial and crucifixion. Because it, was the, because it was the perfect expression of God's redemptive purposes to save a people. What seems like a failure from a human vantage point in the unjust trial and condemnation of our Lord is from a divine perspective, from God's perspective, His predetermined plan and purpose to redeem a people. Remember the question I posed in the way of introduction, church, when I said, how can a perfectly just, holy, and righteous God be reconciled to a sinner who stands justly condemned. And here we have the answer. 
God sent his son, the innocent, spotless lamb of God, to bear the condemnation that I deserve so I could be forgiven. The innocent one bore my condemnation so I could be set free. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it reads, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Church, God the Father made Jesus sin, the sinless lamb of God. God the Father treats Jesus on the cross as if he committed every sin ever committed by every person who ever believed when in fact he committed none of them. He was never for a split second the sin that he is holy God on the cross. But God the Father is treating Jesus as if he lived my life, as if he lived your life. The condemnation that was owed to me was exchanged for his innocence. My shame was exchanged for his goodness. My sin was exchanged for his righteousness. The innocent, perfect Lamb of God stood in my place and bore the condemnation that I deserved so I could be forgiven. We see a picture of this reality, church, in the text itself in verses 21 and 22, where it says, which two of you do want me, which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What then shall I do with the one called Jesus, the Messiah, Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him. Church, we are Barabbas in the story. Christ, the innocent one, was chosen and condemned. So a lawbreaker like Barabbas, like you and I, could be set free. You know, church, when you look at the people and the parties who conspired to kill Christ, I think if we could be completely honest with ourselves, we could say that, listen, we could identify with at least one of those groups. Perhaps, friend, you identify with the Pharisees who, apart from their lust for power and their legalism, they had disdain for Jesus because Jesus did not meet their preconceived ideas of what Messiah would be. He didn't fit their personal expectations, thus had a, a complete disdain for him. Friend, perhaps you're sitting here and you're, you're angry or even disillusioned at God because he didn't meet your preconceived ideas of who he would be or how he would move. Perhaps God did, meet you, did not meet your personal expectations. Maybe he didn't answer a prayer in the way you wanted. Maybe he didn't make a way in a direction you appreciated. Perhaps you identify with the Sanhedrin who view Jesus as a threat, as a threat to their political and religious authority. Perhaps, friend, you view Jesus as too much of a threat to your own authority, your own autonomy, your own decisions that you want to make. Because you want to still call the shots in your own life, you view Jesus as a threat that needs to be suppressed. Perhaps you even identify with Pilate, who saw no fault in Jesus. In fact, he was curious to learn more about Jesus. But because of the peer pressure of surrounding groups, even family and friends, you dismiss him. Perhaps family even identify with Peter. Where you started your walk with Jesus with a hiss and a roar, you were passionate about the things of God, zealous for Jesus and, and the things that he called you to do. But when the cost became too high to follow him, you denied knowing him. All these expressions of disobedience, rejection, and denial are worthy of condemnation, but it's exactly that condemnation that Christ bore himself so we could be reconciled and restored into right relationship with him. If I could invite the band to join me on stage, please. Church, as we reflect on what Christ has done for us, the question becomes, church, when we reflect on Christ bearing our condemnation and our shame, 
How do we respond to being forgiven? How do we respond to the sinless, spotless Lamb of God bearing our condemnation? Your church, in John chapter 21, we read the account where the risen Jesus appears to Peter, the disciple who betrayed him. But Jesus appears to Peter, not to condemn him, but to restore him. Christ comes, to, Christ comes before Peter, and he says to him three times, he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Paralleling his betrayal because he was rejected three times. And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Then Jesus in summary says, then feed my sheep and follow me. Christ was saying to Peter, now that you've been reconciled, now that you've been restored, now that you've been forgiven, now you're made right with me, you are to walk in that forgiveness by being the person I've called you to be and by following me. Jesus is saying to you, friend, as we reflect and embrace the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, bearing the condemnation that we deserve so we could be forgiven, that we are to walk in that forgiveness, we are to embrace that forgiveness by being the person that our Lord has called us to be and by heeding his word when he says, follow me. Praise the Lord for all that he's done. Let's pray, church. <clears throat> Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that you do not leave us in our sin and our, our punishment and penalty. But Lord, out of your grace and compassion and love for us, that you sent your son to bear the shame that we deserve, to bear the condemnation that we deserve, that he was bruised for our, iniquity, for our iniquities, chastised for our transgressions. We are so thankful, Lord, that, our, that your sinless, spotless son stood in our place as our substitute to bear the weight of our condemnation so we could be forgiven and set free. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who walk in this forgiveness, who walk in what it means to embrace what he's done, by being the people you've called us to be and by heeding your word when you say, follow me. Father, we are so thankful for your grace and all that you've done. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said, amen. Thank you, church. Amen and amen. Come on, let's put our hands together one more time for Jake. Show him some love. Awesome. Hey, we never like to close our service without giving people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus.